Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We are officially running out of ways of describing what Jimmy Butler does on a basketball court. What he does for a team that does not have the star power, does not have the firepower, if you will, of every team they have faced in these NBA playoffs. Maybe we just go ahead and just say greatness. Because that's what we're seeing. As Jimmy goes off yet again. And the Heat take game one of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Boston Celtics. 123-116. to And you look at who he's doing this with. Look who he's doing this with. It's unbelievable. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Of course, I'm joined inside the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Going to be talking PGA Championship with Kevin Price from PGATour.com. That tees off today, by the way. It's also part of our poll question of the day. A little frost delay there. Little frost delay there. Thank once again, six oh four. I can't even get through a sentence. And this a big man, pause. I thought it was an opportunity. <laughs> Once you go ahead and tell the people what else we got lined up guest wise today, bud. Well, it's a treat because uh, we got Coach Jerry Glasgow, Louisiana Rage Cajun softball team. We heard from Beth Tarina on the LSU side yesterday. We're going to hear from Jerry Glasgow and the Cajuns today. They start play tomorrow afternoon. Actually, a little two o'clock. Uh, you know, I don't. I wouldn't, it's not quite a matinee special, but it's a little afternoon special in the regionals. There. Is there any type of frost issue there at Tiger Park? Oh, uh, shouldn't be any frost. We might have a humidity delay, but no, shouldn't be any frost issues there. And then we'll talk with Les East at eight o'clock. Everything uh, New Orleans sports based. Uh, talk about the New Orleans Saints. There's some rumors swirling around about some reunions. And the the yeah. Saints just going to become the uh, the New Orleans Raiders. Maybe we could have another piece of that puzzle put together yeah. soon. We'll see. I have, and I also have no idea what the Raiders are doing, by the way. Yeah. None. I, Some family I, members of Derek Carr chiming in on social media about that situation. <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing, which, to be fair, has been the Raiders' approach for 20 years now. So those are our three guests. Of course, we're going to touch on Houston Astros sweeping the Chicago Cubs. Oh, yeah. We're going to tell you a little bit about the Raging Cajun golf team at the NCAA Regional. How did they end up faring? LSUE baseball. One of us was there live in person watching it all. The other person was at home. So we're going to get to all of that. Plus, Keon Coleman headed to Florida State. The former 
Opelousa's Catholic star will begin the season facing off against LSU in a marquee matchup. How much better does he make the Seminoles? How much is he going to help that offense? It came off a pretty good year, just like LSU did. So we'll get to all that, and of course, we'll take your phone calls. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Well, we're going to start off with the Eastern Conference Finals. Jimmy Butler, 35 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 6 steals. Nine and ten, nine of ten from the free throw line. Thirty-five points to lead the Heat to a game one victory. He did get some assistance. Vincent's really good. He's going to be a free agent this offseason, I do believe. I keep, I keep hearing and seeing stories online about Pelicans fans wanting the Pelicans to target Vincent this offseason. And I go, okay. Guy's playing in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. He's playing for Spolstra and uh, plays for Pat Riley. Unless you're going to back up the Brinks truck, I don't see that being a real situation. But I digress. Vincent chips in 15. Bam gives him 20. And the corpse of Kevin Love scores eight points. Martin, 15 off the bench. Kyle Lowry gave him 15 off the bench in only 28 minutes. Like, how is this? This is the thing. You look at their roster. How in the world are they winning these playoff games? How in the world are they winning these playoff series? against teams that are far more talented than they are, have far more star power. They got a bunch of guys starting that probably wouldn't start elsewhere. But they got Jimmy. Now, is it a situation where they just have the best coach left in Spo, and they got a guy that pushes everyone to be great? Because that's what Jimmy does. That's what didn't work in Philly and Minnesota because he's that guy. And some guys can't take that. Some guys' ego can't take the fact that you're going to get pushed and someone's going to bark at you and push you to be great. Jimmy turned himself into a guy that was a marginal player into this. And he did so because he outworked everyone. Which fits perfect with Spo as a coach and Pat Riley as the man in charge of basketball operations down in South Beach. By the way, the first individual ever to win an NBA championship as a player, as an assistant coach, as a head coach, and as a front office leader. He also won championships in three different decades. So I think Pat Raleigh's resume is pretty good. But what is it? How is this happening? Look at the roster. Once again, Kyle Lowry is a shell of himself, yet they somehow find a way to have him come off the bench and be a contributor. Bam is a nice player. He works really well with Jimmy. Their games kind of mesh. Okay. Got Kevin Love? Some people thought Kevin Love was out of the league. 
They got Kevin Love starting, and they're winning games. This isn't 2013 Kevin Love. This is 2023 Kevin Love. He's a healthy scratch for much of the season in Cleveland before he was then waived. And he was waived. He was unemployed, Dawson. He's now starting in the Eastern Conference Finals. Is it just down to coach? Is it just that? Is it just Jimmy's that guy and they got Spo, who's the best coach? Yeah, I mean, Boston's Boston hasn't looked like the team we thought they were for a while. And I think we, you know, we talked about that when we previewed the series. Like, I know that you want to look at it, and Boston was heavy favorites in the series, and they were heavy favorites in game one. And I sat there and I said, but this isn't the Boston Celtics that we saw for much of the year, and it's certainly not the Miami Heat we saw for much of the year. So I wasn't really understanding why the, you know, emphasis was being put on Boston being such big favorites in the series. Now, I didn't necessarily think Miami was going to go in there and take game one and, and kind of handle them in the second half the way they did, but... It was a magnificent second half performance. I mean, Jimmy, look, Butler, he just he makes every play that you need him to make, and they and look, Miami really gets out and defends at times. They prevented, uh, they defended the three point line last night. Jason Tatum was good, but not you know not dominant like Butler was, and uh, they got to get some help for Jason Tatum. They got to get some other guys involved. I've I've been overall underwhelmed with Jalen Brown in these po- in this postseason. He's had his moments, but it just hasn't been what you wanted it to be. You know, and a guy who's trying to take that next step. And I mean, look, Boston's going to struggle to you know to win games in this series if they play the way they played in Game One. The chemistry just is, is felt off. And when I say chemistry, I'm not talking about locker room stuff. I'm talking about just on-the-court chemistry, right? It, there are times where they seem, when you watch Boston play, they seem clunky, if that makes any sense. And the, the thing that's curious about that, Dawson, is that these guys have played together for a while now. This isn't new parts coming together. I mean, you got Brogdon that comes off the bench, but Tatum, Smart, and Brown in particular have played together for a while. And they, at times, look clunky, especially offensively. And a first-year head coach, too. I think mm-hmm. that that matters here. And, again, that wasn't the plan. Uh, you had some off-season drama there with Amy Adoka, and that ends up with the Celtics moving on. And, and so, you know, I mean, I, I look, it didn't look like it mattered for much of the regular season, and you felt like it was okay. It was just plug-and-play, and they were going to be fine. But now it's starting to, it's starting to matter. And I think... I think it's clear he's gotten out coached a couple of times, but hey, they pulled through and played well down the stretch against Philadelphia, and there's still plenty of time in this series, right? It's one game. Um, but Miami going out and stealing one on the road, I mean, that's just that's a big statement win, and and it didn't feel like the, it didn't feel like a fluky game, right? It felt like there's some legitimate matchup concerns. Butler's two man game with Bam, which like Bam again, the the, the evolution of his game this season because he was not playing well early when Miami was struggling, and so. Um, there's there's some real problems there that Boston's got to make some real adjustments on. And um, if, if this series goes the way this game went, again, Boston's going to struggle a lot. They're going to have their hands full. And we, we've, we talked about Miami was going to be a handful for them no matter what. And look, Tatum gave them 30 last night, but they only got 14 from Williams, only 13 from Marcus Smart. And Brown gave him 22, but he was 10 of 21 shooting and one of six from three-point range. Like, Boston starters only made five three-pointers. That was it. So, Miami's going to play 
in stretches really good defense that's going to frustrate the heck out of you. They're a tough-nosed team. You, you People use the cliche all the time, you know, lunch pail type of team, right? Jimmy's that guy. Spoh's that guy. They, they kind of have that identity about them. I expect this to be a series. Once again, remember, this Eastern Conference Finals last year went seven games. It went seven games last year. So don't be surprised. And just like last year, by the way, the Heat overcame a 13-point deficit to beat the Celtics in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2022 on May 17th. On May 17th of 2023, the Heat overcame a 13-point deficit to beat the Celtics in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. So, a little history repeating itself there. The question is, you know what you're going to get from this Miami team? That. The, they're not flashy. They're not trying to disguise anything. They just go right after you, right? They are what they are. They got a bunch, they got some guys out there that shouldn't even have any business being on the court. Aged over the hill guys. But they make it work because they buy into what Spo is out there preaching to them, and Jimmy kind of pushes them to be great. You want to talk about stretch runs in a in a basketball game? Oh. 1055 left. In the third quarter, it's 71 to 59. That quarter ends, so it's a 12 point lead for Boston. That quarter ends with a 12 point lead for Miami. So, in in less than 11 minutes of play, the Boston Celtics got outscored by 24 points on their home court in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a magnificent third quarter performance and second half by the Heat. I guess my question is we know this is going to be a long series, we expect this to be six to seven games. For Boston to get it together and win after having to be tested in the first round and being tested again in the semifinals, are they going to need Tatum to go off for nearly 50? Is that what it's going to take? No, I think they need more from the peripheral guys. And uh, There we go. Which, again, like Jimmy, as great as he's been, he's also gotten good performances out of his teammates here at times, at key times. Um, and so... I mean, look, Boston defensively, they did some different things to try to change up their looks on Jimmy. I thought some of it was, you know, creative, but it didn't matter all that much. And then, you know, if he's still going to get that and he's going to get the performances from Struess and from, uh, you know, Caleb Martin off the bench and some and of those things, then then he, you know, then Boston's in trouble again. Now, that's this one game. And it's going to have though. a chance to get this thing even back up still on their own home court. But, um, it was quite a comeback performance, and um, you know, it wasn't the only standout comeback performance though of the night last night. How about the Houston Astros. Oh, that's what we call a transition, boys and girls. That's what we call a tease. How about them? I mean, down by five runs. I kind of listen. I, I I had a lot of things going on. I had I had Boston and Miami on one TV. I had the LSU Bengals on the other because I called the first game. wasn't able to stay for the nightcap. Um, and then I start getting these alerts that the Astros are making this run. I thought it was uh, those alerts from 1987 again from the other day. <laughs> what we got the other day. Yeah, yeah, I thought that's what was going on. But no, Astros put together a comeback. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more after the break. Oh, oh, oh. this man's just taking over. Man's taking over. I don't even need to be here. Go ahead, bud. Take us to break.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Astros looked like they were done. They were dead. Going to not get a sweep of the Chicago Cubs. As the Cubbies jumped out to a 3-1 lead early in the first, added two more in the third and another one in the fourth, and they were on cruise control here. This was a 6-1 game heading into the bottom of the eighth. And then it happened. After giving up not one but two home runs to Suzuki. (laughs) Maybe not throw pitches to that guy. And finding themselves down six to one. Bregman. We keep calling his name a lot in these Astros recaps of late. Sure does feel like Bregs may be starting to turn a corner. Or maybe he just needed to face the Chicago Cubs. He gets a double to left that scores Pena. Then... Abreu, yes. Huh? Oh, no, not so much. Singles to left, scoring Bregman. That makes it 6-3. to three. But still, you're like, okay. They were down 6-1. to one. Yeah, they got a couple runs in the bottom of the eighth. That's great. But there's no way, no how, that they're going to come back and win this game. The man they call Rake Myers. Kevin Foote's favorite guy. Jake Myers goes out there, hits a two-run bomb. Now, all of a sudden, it's 6-5 to five in the bottom of the ninth. And then it comes down to Tucker. Bregs and Pena had already gotten on base. So had Alvarez, who got had no hits in this game, by the way. But Tucker gets the single to center, which brings in two runs as the Strohs win it in walk-off fashion in the bottom of the ninth inning for a 7-6 victory. They got great contributions. Jeremy Pena did pretty well hitting leadoff yesterday. Two for five with two runs scored. Breggs, three for four with three runs scored. And the home run. Tucker, three for five with two ribbies. Diaz gave him two hits. Rake Myers gave him two hits. And the Strohs get a series sweep. First one of the season. Yeah, look, this game was over. Like, it was over. And it was, was done. Yeah, um, and I, I turned it off, like I said. I watched this game early. Wanted to see JP get uh, get his first home start. Didn't go as, as planned. No, it, um, did, it, was not, it was not a... Uh, a great night. They gave away the mustaches, or people yeah. were wearing the mustaches for yeah. your boy JP um, France, former Tulane star. He only lasted three and two thirds, six yeah, earned no, runs it, on nine hits. Yeah, they, they, no, it was it was, uh, it was tough there, but the bullpen comes in and again doesn't give up a single run, and I mean gave you length in this one because they had to come in early with JP not 
having his best outing, and they, they had just used were dominant. Five I mean, different relievers to piece it together, and what was magnificent: not a single one of them gave up a run, and they only gave up four hits the rest of the way. Right, and and they kept it within striking distance. But again, this is a game, and and I actually had this thought yesterday, like. Is that a game that's even possible to come back in? It's like it's a getaway. It's not a getaway day, but it's the final game of the series with an off day looming tomorrow. Uh, you're down 6-1. You've already won the series. You're playing pretty well, but you got a guy who gets kind of lit up early. Chicago needs to win. So it's like, oh, it felt to me like, and I actually was thinking about that, like in, in the course of a major league season, how, how many times can you grind out comeback wins like that? And when do you have the energy and effort to do so? And they just strung together some good at-bats there. You get a couple. That's so big when you're facing a big deficit and you've got, let's say, six outs to play with. You get a couple in that first inning and just kind of takes the pressure off. And, again, anytime you go into the ninth inning within a grand slam's distance, I'd say, you know, where one swing of the bat can potentially tie things up, you feel differently about it. And it was only a three-run deficit. Uh, Myers hits the two-run shot, and you just continue to put pressure on the Cubs' defense. And... A couple of huge at-bats down the stretch there, and Kyle Tucker just continues to be uh, a bit of a clutch hitter when when times call for it. Um, Yiner Diaz, to me, sure looks like a guy who offensively, if if he can continue to do what he's doing behind the plate and handle the pitching staff, um, I think we might see less and less at-bats from Martin Maldonado, which I wouldn't be upset about. Although, I don't know if Dusty's going to go for that. Even you know, Yiner would have to play outstanding, but he had a couple of hits and looked good at the plate. Um, Abreu's hit was a seeing eye single that got through the five six hole. I, I, I'm not ready to to feel like he's turning oh, it around. But, he's, um, he's bad two twenty now, but but it was at a yeah, it was at a big time. So so give him credit for that um, for finding a hole there. And um, just I mean just a huge win. And and you start to talk about a team like this that we expected to be so good. Um, these are the types of wins that can kind of you know in the course of a long season that can kind of give you a little extra pep in your step goes into an off day I mean how much how much more fun is that off day going to be for that team as they can now enjoy their day and then get back to work tomorrow night so uh what 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 a, what a performance on a you know again a Wednesday night a game that you know you wouldn't uh, you don't want them to pack it in so to speak but it's a game that you you don't expect that type of intensity down the stretch when you're down five runs but they uh they brought it they're five games above 500 now They've won four in a row. They've won seven of their last ten. And they're doing this without Michael Brantley being able to return to whatever weirdness is going on there. Jose Altuve running through the gambit of different minor league baseball uniforms, which will, of course, inspire bobbleheads for those minor league ball clubs while he's doing his rehab assignments. Still have no idea about Lance McCullers Jr. When and if he's coming back. No, we have we have a little idea, but it's going to be a while. It's going to be at least a month or so, I would say. So hopeful we're going to see him. Who's going to come back first, Urquidy or McCullers? I think you'll. I think it'll be McCullers, but not um, because I think McCullers will be back mid to late June. I think Urquidy, you're you're looking more around the All Star break. Um, but again, I I, I don't. Which I don't late have, June would be close to the All Star break. I don't have you know locked in updates on there, but I, I think it's McCullers. But maybe you get them both back uh, similar timing. That could be interesting. So no Urquidy, no McCullers, and yet they're still finding a way, right? And and look, they always have the slow starts. They're only two games behind Texas now in the AL West standings, and with everything that's happened to the Strohs, 
this offseason and heading into the season and the injuries that they've had to deal with and the fact that Abreu has not been a contributor. The man cannot get extra base hits. They find a way. And they're building up some really, really great momentum. They have the day off, and then they'll welcome in on Friday the Oakland Athletics, a team that's drawing less than 2,000 fans to their games right now. Plenty of seats available if you go to Oaktown. They're trying to make the move to Vegas. They're the worst team in baseball. So I know our guy Kevin Foote has been petrified, terrified of this this weekend series coming up for the Athletics and the Astros because of how bad the A's have been. But it just feels like you're starting to see this team turn a corner Took two or three from the Angels. Took two or three from the Chicago White Sox. Swept the Cubs. I know those are three teams that are not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. But they've put together a nice little run here. We'll see if the Astros can keep it going. we got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. Former Opelousas Catholic star Keon Coleman transfers to Florida State. What type of impact is he going to make on the Seminoles, who, by the way, opened up the season against the LSU Tigers? We'll talk about that next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Keon Coleman makes it official. He's headed to Florida State. The former Opelousas Catholic, two-sport All-State selection in both football and basketball, who began his career playing both basketball and football at Michigan State, then switched to just focusing on football for a sophomore season. Had a breakout year, led the team in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns for Sparty, is now going to be playing for the Seminoles. It looked like he came down to really Ole Miss and Florida State, but I think Florida State had the leg up here because they recruited him coming out of high school. And we're starting to see that those types of relationships matters when it comes to getting guys out of the NCAA transfer portal. See the young man who's now going to be playing running back at LSU who played for Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. But what does this do for Florida State? Now, Florida State had some guys leave in the offseason, as all teams do in the transfer portal. But they've really kind of stacked up guys during this portal. Yeah, nobody's embraced the portal more than Mike Norvell in college football. And um, that was a big part of the Knowles turnaround last year. So, look, Jordan Travis is going to be... In the Heisman conversation to start the year, uh, as is Jaden Daniels, they've kind of had, um, I, w- I don't know if I'd call them similar career trajectories, but like Jordan Travis um, is maybe the most improved player I've ever witnessed um, 
the improvement of, like in person. Um, in my first year at Florida State, which was um, two years ago, the guy looked lost, and Mackenzie Milton was playing, of course, kind of a shell of himself with the knee injury. They were back and forth playing different, you know, starting, kind of rotating the job there, and Milton was a guy you could see that he could process everything, make the reads, but physically just wasn't there anymore. Jordan Travis had all this athletic ability, but just could not read defenses um, could not make quick decisions and was just largely inaccurate. But he just improved tremendously over the offseason last year, came in, um, and it started with that game against LSU where you saw some things, um, and they had played Duquesne the week before that, and you saw a couple there, but you wanted to see it against a good opponent, and you see him play against LSU, and I said, this doesn't look like the same guy. Um, I'm not sure, and, and, and thought maybe it was a little fluky, but he kept it going and had a fantastic season. So, they're trying to retool that offense a little bit. They don't lose a ton of offensive production, but they lost a couple of key guys. Micah Pittman entered the transfer portal um, about a month ago. Now, Micah was a big part of this offense last year, but he had a big ankle injury, and he was going to miss a lot of the season regardless, um, and he decides to move on. My general feeling is that's maybe playing time related. Uh, I think Micah Pittman might have seen the writing on the wall, which is kind of crazy to think about because he really was one of their best and most reliable uh, receivers a year ago. Micah Pittman, by the way, the brother of Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. Um, so, look, they have some guys in that receiver room. Winston Wright Jr. is a guy who missed all last year due to injury. He's a West Virginia transfer. He's expected to have a role in the offense. Johnny Wilson is their six-seven phenom of a receiver on the outside who you're going to see a ton of this year. Um, and they've got a couple other guys. Deuce Span's still trying to make an impact. Kintron Portier has has had his moments. But I think, you know, a guy like Keon Coleman fits right into the mix. And he has a proven track record in major college football. I think that helps him coming in. You know, you do come in after the spring, so you have to make that adjustment. You've missed some time, and you have to get acclimated with Jordan Travis and some of those guys. But I think this might be a situation where the talent wins out in the end, right? And Coleman sees the field quicker than uh, maybe we would expect just because he's that good. And uh, it'll be interesting to see because this Florida State offense already has a lot of options and they just added another one, just more depth for Mike Norvell's team. Coleman is a freakish athlete and he's going to contribute right away. He'll be in the starting lineup for the opener. Like this is the world we live in now, where you're not grabbing a guy out of the transfer portal who you recruited and nearly got before, because he was going to be able to play both basketball and football originally when Florida State recruited him. He ended up just choosing Michigan State. There's a prior relationship there already. This is a guy who led his team in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. A freakish athlete. I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue for Keon to adjust to what they're doing. And it makes that matchup between Florida State and LSU at Camping World Stadium, it just makes it a great matchup. Because you're right, both quarterbacks are going to be in the talk of the preseason Heisman talk. And both teams are going to be ranked more than likely in the top 15 in the preseason poll. It's going to be a huge marquee matchup on the opening weekend of the season, Sunday night. Yeah, I'll go a step further. I think they'll both be top 10 without a doubt in the AP poll preseason. We'll see. We'll see. I, I thought that, but the pollsters always throw me off. 
That's yeah. That, they, that, that's I hedge my very bets. unreliable group of uh, individuals. Yeah, yes, I hedge my bets and I say top fifteen. Uh, yeah. But you, you never do know. Sometimes you go, what? What are you doing? What? How? But Keon's going to be. I think he's a very good fit there. Makes a lot of sense. I thought for me it came down to Florida State and Ole Miss. And those are the ones that he took the two big visits to, and you could see how he would be utilized in both offenses. But if you're the Florida State quarterback, you're very happy right now. like Because not only did you mention you get Coleman, but you get the young man who – he didn't play a snap last year, right? Yeah, Winston Wright missed right. all last year. He missed all of last year. So you get essentially like two really – let's be honest, two new targets – There'll be a lot of time. People go, well, how? There'll be a lot of time spent in fall camp with those two guys. That's how it's going to work. There's going to be extra practice time between the quarterback and his new weapons. That's how it works. So I would not be concerned at all. And congratulations to Keon for finding a new home. I knew it wasn't going to wait, but it is interesting with these guys. And now that we got the transfer portal up and running for a few years, what I thought was going to happen really hasn't happened because we ha- we're having so many marquee guys transfer after spring ball where you don't have, like, Keon's not going to be able to go to campus on in, in Tallahassee and start working. It's not going to be practice for him. You don't, you're not going to have that extra time during the spring to be able to do so. Now, Michigan State's in a weird spot where they also lost their starting quarterback right before the deadline for the transfer portal as well. And it's kind of like, what's going on in East Lansing? Uh, you know, I, I, we'll see if Mel Tucker is going to work out long-term because it does seem to be some issue there with him and his players. But it doesn't seem to matter all that much, Dawson. We're having marquee guys that are going through spring football that then decide to enter that transfer portal right after spring football. And they're kind of taking their time, and they're not making their decisions until the middle of May, but it doesn't seem to matter. It's not exactly the same thing, but what you've seen in college basketball is is so it, – it's something where when I first see it, and I, I – you know, it's something I didn't even realize at the time. Um, but guys are leaving at the very last minute, and it, it's not mattering. Like, Terrence Lewis II, Raging Cajun forward, had a fantastic season, helped him to get back to the NCAA tournament. He transferred to UL in September. Uh, the college basketball season starts in October, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. he transferred yes. in September, a month before the season started, and he started the first game, and he started every game of the season. So you're seeing a, a shift in focus where I just feel like 10 years ago, a guy who came in a month before the year wouldn't have had a chance to get on the, on the court or on the field. Um, now, it's a little different in football. There's a lot more that goes into being ready and being prepared a, to mix in with an offense or a defense. Um, B, to get up and ramped up into game shape and you know kind of understand the playbook and things like that. There's more that goes into it in football than basketball. So it's not a direct comparison. But, yeah, you, you wouldn't have seen a guy transfer in May 10 years ago and haven't especially wouldn't see that guy transfer with the idea of playing right away. Now, look, we'll see if Keon Coleman gets on the I'm not as confident as you are that he's going to play right away just because I know there's some guys in that building that, have established an opportunity for themselves. But, again, if he gets in there and he's clearly that guy, 
Mike Norvell has shown you he'll he'll put those guys on the field, the guys that are telling you they're going to be the guy. So it's interesting to see, and and yeah, it's just a shift. And it, you know, I don't, I can't say I love it to be honest with you. Not this move specifically, but the overall concept and idea of guys leaving. Um, you know, three, four months before the season, they're just still jumping in the portal and, and going to new destinations. I'm not a huge fan of, of that being the case. I kind of like the designated portal deadlines and things like that, which they exist, but they don't seem to matter, right? Um, I kind of like that, but at the same time, like, you know, these some of these guys, again, there's different circumstances in each situation that, that lead to these things. And, um, you know, I, you mentioned Keon had a couple of unique little aspects of his story that maybe led to part of the reason that this is happening but um, all things considered it is certainly the world we're living in and until the NCAA or if the NCAA doesn't um, set some stricter deadlines and things of that nature that that maybe have eligibility restrictions attached to them you're going to see guys leaving in May and, and June and maybe even July and still expect to maybe play that fall. Well I mean look the the, the guidelines are what they are because he had to get in by that Sunday right and the the same thing with like Trey Amos with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns there are deadlines in in place to to be able to get into the portal and leave all right so uh, I, I look do i love the NCAA transfer portal no i do not okay do, do i love how easy it is for kids to be able to leave no um it's, it's not it's it's not something that makes me thrilled but it is the world we now live in, and it's never going back, ever. It's never going back. So, but you and I, did, look, we'll, we'll see. Because you, you don't go in and go and recruit a guy like that for having him to be a backup, by the way. Especially a guy that you already have a prior relationship with. Just saying. I know there's other guys in that locker room, but just like I said when LSU added the running back out of Notre Dame, if you were thrilled with what you had, you wouldn't make sure to go add something else in May. So, we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk a little PGA Championship. It's a bit of a delay due to frost. Yeah, uh, there we go. It's May, but it's in New York. We'll talk about that and unveil the poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. D'Lo, why'd you make me so tired this morning? Let's talk about that. We haven't addressed that so far this morning. I'm a little sluggish. I got to the studio early, which prompted you well, to give me a glance of, dude, what are you doing? You're throwing I, my mojo off yeah, I had being to here. Check my her. watch because I mean I got here earlier <laughs> than usual too, so I was kind of in the rhythm. Ah, of the universe is just saying, hey, yeah, oh, these guys are getting here early, cooking it up. PGA Championship is was supposedly teeing off this morning, but there's a frost issue there in. Uh, 
good old upstate New York where they're hosting the PGA Championship. Now, that leads us to our poll question of the day. Who do you like? You know, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm are the two best golfers on the face of the planet right now. Scheffler hasn't finished outside of the top 12, I do believe, in like two and a half years. <laughs> Which is just, what? What? John Rahm, of course, coming off a phenomenal Masters performance. And he's been great for the last couple of years as well. So obviously, those are the two guys that we think of for this PGA Championship for the second major in golf this year. JT, though, is your defending champ. He got off the schneid last year. Well documented in the Netflix series, by the way, which was amazing to watch. Can't wait for the second season of that. And he got his second major of his career last year at the PGA. He's your defending champ. So do you like Scotty Scheffler? Do you like John Rahm? Do you like Justin Thomas? Or do you like the field? That's essentially our poll question of the day. But D'Lo, I'll start with you. You're the golf man. You, you got all the connections and all that good jazz. You like to play the game. You're out there spending your free time on the on the course. Who do you like? Yeah, and, and I really buy in a lot to what uh, our buddy Chris told us, and maybe we'll see if um, Kevin Price agrees when we have him on uh, coming up in just a few minutes. But I buy, I buy the idea of the guys that can keep it in the fairway really having an advantage this week because that rough looks thick. And, oh, it does. You know, you start talking about guys who maybe don't hit it quite as as long but can certainly control it. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different guys that, uh, that you point to. But out of the guys we mentioned, I really like the way Justin Thomas lines up in a course like this. And I think he's a guy that when he's hitting it well, he's going to keep it in the fairway and he's going to be hitting a lot of greens. Now, the issue there is Justin's maybe not playing his best golf, maybe not in as mm-hmm. quite as top form the way Scheffler and Rahm are out of those three, but I do like them. Now, I will I would take the field just because I think uh, I like the numbers game there of taking the field. But it is an interesting thought. There's been a long you know, a stretch of golf where I don't think it was ever smart to take one or two guys over the field. I think we're getting back maybe to the point where you start to consider, well, Scheffler and Rahm versus the field. Well, Scheffler and Rahm are there every, every, every major, really. They're in the conversation. So it's interesting, too. Some of the other you know, main players we would expect to hear about, Jordan Spieth dealing with an injury. Now he's supposedly good to go, and he's going to be playing, but his how tee much shots, does that though, sometimes him? veer off a little too much for a course. Yeah, like this. if he's not on, he's yeah. really going to struggle here. So we'll see. I also like Brooks Kepka. Just keep coming back to him as well. So it's going to be a fascinating second major in golf, which is going to be teeing off today. Once the frost dries up and the sun comes out, they'll get play started there in New York. We'll talk more about the PGA Championship to kick off hour number two with Kevin Price of PGATour.com. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. 
hour number two has arrived here on RP3 and company. Man, we are killing it this morning. That's what we're doing around here. Inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Of course, I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. And I'm joined inside the studios by, of course, the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow. We do have a poll question of the day for you. Guess what? It's about the PGA Championship. Yes, that's right. Who do you like to win the PGA Championship? You like Scotty Shuffler? The man hasn't finished outside the top 12 in a very long time. John Rahm, best golfer in the world right now, coming off the Masters win. Justin Thomas, JT, hasn't been playing his best golf, but you know what? He is the defending champ. Or are you going with the field? That's our poll question of the day. You can keep voting on that. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. Currently, right now, 70% of you say the field, 15% say Scotty Scheffler, 11% say John Rahm, and 4% say JT. Keep those votes coming, though, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Right now, it's time for us to talk more about the PGA Championship, which the first round has, well, not begun yet. It's been suspended due to frost there in New York. To break it all down for us, to give us a preview of the tournament, and the state of golf is our old friend from PGATour.com. Kevin Price joins us now. Kevin, good morning to you, bud. How are you, my friend? Happy three. Good morning. Happy Major Championship Thursday. Always a pleasure to be on. It is uh, always a pleasure to have you on, brother. And I was not expecting us to talk about Frost playing a role in a golf major in the month of May, but yet here we are. So what do we expect today? Uh, do we expect this to be an issue every day that the rounds are going to be delayed, or is this just maybe just something for today and maybe tomorrow? No, so it's funny. Um, when the PGA was set at Oak Hill this year, the PGA was still in August. So then when they changed it to May, everyone kind of wondered, like, you know, Western New York in the spring, is it going to be okay? And unfortunately for today, it was the coldest day, the coldest morning of the week. There was also a frost delay on Monday for players who were here for the practice round early. But the good news is later in the week, it's going to warm up a little bit. There's um, rain that could come in Saturday night, Sunday morning. But other than that, this is the only issue with the cold and the frost. It's a bummer to have it today, but hopefully we'll be able to get caught up. You know, I love the fact that they made the decision a few years back to move the PGA Championship to being the second major of the season. I love the fact that we end it with the Open Championship overseas. I'm a big fan of that. Plus, I think it allows the PGA Championship to maybe be viewed in a different light, maybe viewed with a little bit more respect. Uh, do you think that's something that is happening, especially with the way this golf course is trying to make it more like a U.S. Open feel to it with all the rough and everything like that, maybe start to view the PGA Championship a little bit differently than we have in years past? It's a good question, and I think looking at the golf landscape as a whole and the cadence, and, you know, we're always going to seed to football. Football, is all, it's going to be hard to go up against football, and spring is naturally good momentum for the game of golf, and obviously the Masters is a tentpole tournament, the U.S. Open's a tentpole tournament, and for the PGA trying to 
find its identity. You know, you know the Masters has Augusta, the Open is Lynx Golf, the U.S. Open is hard, and the PGA goes to beautiful courses and obviously celebrates the spirit of teaching the game and growing the game. And for it to be kind of this time of year, right in the heart of golf interseason between the Masters and the U.S. Open, I, I think it keeps the momentum. And even though it doesn't really go, you know, some years it might be more at like a ocean course at Kiowa type of place. And this week it's more of a U.S. Open kind of traditional tree line test when you think of, you know, a major of the 50s and 60s and a lot of heritage here with Trevino and Jack Nicklaus winning all the way back to Kerry Middlecoff in the 1950s. So I think it's cool. It might It's still kind of, you know, developing its long-term, I guess, identity for the modern era, but I know that in the golf world, everyone's super excited about this. This week is has been highly anticipated. It's going to be hard. It's going to be very, I guess, U.S. Open ethos. And that way, maybe, you know, in 15 to 20 years, there will be that PGA Championship, quote-unquote, ethos. But I think the, the variety that the tournament provides is cool. And I, I think the time of year, to go back to your original question, I think the time of year is perfect. Well, Kevin, it's a lot's been made of that rough and kind of how they've tried to grow it out and, and maybe create some unique uh, challenges from that standpoint. How do you see that impacting the field? Um, are we going to see a lot of duffed pitch shots and chip shots that don't go very far the way we sometimes see in U.S. Opens, or do you think these guys will be able to handle it for the most part? Absolutely. Like you said, with U.S. Opens, we are going to see some of that. Early, early in the week, if there's any, any indication, I, I know they actually – cuts are off a little bit. It was growing up to six inches in some spots early in the week, which is just absolutely crazy. And then they trimmed it down to four inches or so. I think what's going to be interesting is that if you're kind of way off the fairway, like wayward misses might find their way into some good trampled down spots. You know, there's a lot of gallery that isn't too far off the fairway, so a lot of drives could easily find their way into some of those areas, but if you miss the fairway within 10 to 15 yards, there's going to be a lot of that punch-out rough. And even for the strongest players, I mean, you know, it's cold, it's May, it's Western New York, take her off the ball, tends to sit down in that rough. So kind of when you think of the U.S. Open and punch-outs, there will be a lot of that and coupled with the firm greens. I mean, I've heard some crazy takes that seem crazy, I guess you could say early in the week, like, you know, there will barely be, you know, 20 total rounds under par or a winning score might be over par and stuff like that. And yet, yet you never know, though. But I know in 2008, when the senior PGA was here, which is the last time there was a big event like this in May, the winning score was seven over. And obviously, that's the senior PGA. This is the PGA, but gives you an idea of how tough it does play this time of year. This is the time where golf courses in western New York do not play easy. But with that being said, also the cold weather going to play into it. The guys who hit their tee shots a little longer, maybe not as much of an advantage. Um, do you value the guys who are more fairway finders and uh, shorter players but can certainly control it more? And Do you think that's going to be the type of player that it takes to win this tournament this week? I think when you look at who's won here before, Sean McKeel, not a long hitter, Jason Duffner, not a long hitter. The course, 7,400 yards as a par 70 is definitely plenty long, and you're going to have probably shorter hitters. They will have a lot of long irons in. But I think, as you alluded to, 
at a normal event, a typical event on the PGA Tour, you'd much rather have a wedge from the rough than a seven iron from the fairway. Whereas here, you know, you'd rather have a five iron from the fairway to get it up toward the green than, than an eight iron that you have to hack out from the rough. But I do think kind of that even though they'll be hitting definitely some longer clubs in, I think you'd rather go with the guys who are going to be in the fairway more. That being said, it will be hard for everyone to find fairways with kind of the slopes and the angles and the firmness. And we'll see if some of the frost this morning slows that down a bit. But it'll be a tough test for everyone. But I think the good thing is it does bring pretty much the whole field into play. We're talking with Kevin Price of PGATour.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company talking PGA Championship, which tees off this morning there in Western New York. Dawson and I were talking about this earlier, Kevin. You know, we've gone through a long stretch where we've seemingly had a constant rotation of really great golfers come up, seize the opportunity, and then someone else comes up right behind them, right? Uh, they'll pop up and win a major or win a couple of golf tournaments. And that's what it's been like for, it seems like, five to six, seven years, with the exception of Brooks Kepka run there where he won a bunch of majors. Now it feels like we have some uh, some separation maybe here with John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, that we have this one-two punch that these guys are the best golfers on the face of the planet. Does it feel that way to you? It does. It totally does. Like, you know, when people are asking, you know, who do you think might be good this week? And kind of when you just outline in your mind, like, who do you expect to be in contention? You feel silly not to give those names. It's almost like those are the kind of two auto names. It's like, you know, when you're predicting who's going to make the NFL playoffs for 20 years, you know, being in Western New York, it was just Patriots, the Brady Patriots. You just pick them right away. You just feel like Rahm and Scheffler are going to be – up there. They really don't have weaknesses in their current form. And people like to say a lot kind of in golf, you tend to have like a certain peak of 12 to 18 months or so that is just your elite play. And when you get like a tiger, you can have a second and a third wave of that peak. And Ron was kind of asked early in the week about riding the wave and he tried to, you know, he was KG a little bit, but he knows that they know like you have these waves and it's not going to last forever. But I, I do think there's no signs of those waves being slown for them anytime soon. And it'll come, you know, they'll have their time. You, you see it with everyone, you know, like you said, for a while, Kepka looked unbeatable, but injuries caught up with him for a while. Jordan Spieth looked unstoppable. And then his just hot, amazing putter run slowed down a bit. It's always going to happen. Andrew Gannington 15 years ago won three majors in the span of six starts. So you just think of these examples of people going on these runs, and their runs have extended a little bit longer, which is what makes it even more impressive. But, they, you know, at some point they'll slow and fall toward the pack, but I think for now they're definitely the two kind of above all else to expect to be at the top this week. Let's talk JT. He broke through last year, ended that long streak of not winning a major, and he gets major number two at the PGA Championship. Now, he's your defending champion, but he hasn't been playing his best golf of late. And sometimes that matters and sometimes it doesn't. What do you make of JT's chances, especially here on this course, with the way he's been playing of late? 
So it's interesting. JT, he's kind of been his bread and butter for so long. Green the regulation, ball striking, top 10 in those categories, machine for years. And this year, and he, he had always kind of struggled a bit with the putter in terms of it could be finicky and he'd be streaky with the putter. And, and this year, his green regulation and kind of those type of strokes gain to the green numbers have gone down. He's been in, and he would never say this. He's so, the one thing about JT, he's so confident. He pretty much will always create the narrative in his mind that he can win and that he should win. And then nothing else than a win is unacceptable, which I mean, and he, he admitted a little bit this week. There have been some times in the last few months he showed up at a tournament, not sure he could win. But the thing about GT being such a competitor, just someone who likes to hit a lot of different golf shots, someone who just has that knack for the competition and how to score a course like this, where the winning score is going to probably be around par and just, you know, shoot a couple rounds of 70, a couple rounds of maybe 68 and scramble around. I, I think he could be up there in his, his numbers have gotten better. Like earlier in the year, he was in the 50s to 60s in that strokes gained approach to green category. I just looked. He's now up to 30 cents. So he's been climbing up. He's been kind of coming out of his little funk. And if that putter keeps up and he can make those six to 10 footers for par, which are going to be so key this week with all the rough, he, he could definitely have a chance. You mentioned some, uh, you know, the ability of this field to kind of all be in play because of the difficulties and the challenges. Um, do you have someone specific in mind that isn't getting talked about a lot, or is it more just anybody could show up on any given day and be a contender this week? A couple of the kind of flyer names. I guess one who's not really under the radar, but just because he hasn't won on tour, Cameron Young. He's been a big game player at majors early in his career, only the second year on tour. He came close at the Open in St. Andrews last summer. He's not from near here, but he is from New York State, and his dad's a teaching pro, so there's a feel-good angle there. And just for someone, when you look at Sean McKeel 20 years ago, his first win on tour was a major Oak Hill, and I think Cam Young will prove to have a better career, but I think he's someone who's right on that doorstep of winning and someone who's not going to be scared of the moment, such a kind of calm, even-keeled demeanor. And I could see him up there this week. And then a little further down the board, kind of – the profile I like the most for this week as I've been out here and observed and talked to people, people who are good drivers of the ball overall, you know, good length and good accuracy, kind of that kind of merge together, and also good scramblers because you're going to have to get up and down at some point. So a couple guys a little more under the radar, Keith Mitchell and Taylor Montgomery are a couple too. Keith Mitchell's won once on tour four years ago. Taylor Montgomery's uh Rookie who hasn't won, but he's had a ton of good finishes this year. So those are a couple names that I've kind of liked as sneaky to be up there. Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed, and uh, Lefty had a great showing at the Masters, which caused a bunch of buzz because obviously they play for live. Do we expect to see any of those guys in the mix for the PGA Championship? Of course. Yeah, it's... um. These guys, you know, I, I will say, like, they, their careers, they've proven throughout their careers in majors and when they played on the PGA Tour that they have all the ability. They have plenty 
they're not scared of these moments. You know, Phil still he's a legend in the game. Kapka's a, a big game hunter. Um, Patrick Reed's done it. Phil and Kapka being runner up at the Masters. Reed contending, like you said. Yeah, there, there's no there's no reason to think they can't be up there. They're they're all great players. They're all accomplished players. And when you look at the field and the stack of talent, and it's very deep on the PGA Tour, deep in professional golf, and I'd put those guys totally with a chance. Kevin, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy being close to home and enjoy the PGA Championship uh, this week, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. Vian. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. As the PGA Championship is in a frost delay, who had that on their bingo card? I want to bring up something because we've had this before on the show for the Masters. And I was uh, ridiculed. It's fine. If you can't pick Augusta or St. Andrews, what's the dream course for you to go and watch a PGA Tour event at or go play? You can't pick Augusta and you can't pick St. Andrews. So going to a tour event, Probably go Pebble Beach, U.S. Open at Pebble oh, Beach. Um, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with the Pebble Beach. Yeah, playing-wise, I, I might have to choose Wolf Creek in Nevada, which there's no PGA Tour events there, but if you've ever seen Wolf Creek, it's cut out of the mountains. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, so Wolf Creek is certainly very, very high on the list. You just went to a non-PGA Tour course. I mean, I guess I can respect that. <laughs> Was I anticipating it? No. Look, Pebble Beach has to be, that's the one for me. If I don't get to go to Augusta or St. Andrews, it has to be. It would have to be Pebble Beach to me. You're on your laptop there, right? I want you to type in golfwolfcreek.com and look at those pictures on the first page and tell me you wouldn't choose that. Oh, I, I'm sure, but it doesn't – look, I'm a big history guy, though. You ruled out the two most historic courses in the world, so I had to go elsewhere. I had to change my <laughs> line of thinking. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, f- fair enough. So, uh, they played there last year at Brookline, which – 
They hadn't played there in forever. I love that course. I just love the way it looks. The fact that there's like, you know, big boulders and rocks everywhere on the course. Because it's the type of course I'd look at and go, I could hit that. That's how that would work. But Pebble Beach, no Torrey Pines for you. No. Um, I mean, it's 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 great, but you had to. I had to pick one, so I chose Pebble oh, Beach. Oh, you could pick more than one. You're talking. Well, I mean, look, there's plenty. Um, Pinehurst. Yeah, no, I mean Pinehurst is there. You've got um, y- the other thing too is if you're talking attending events, I think the uh, there there's some interesting. Like it, it depends too on if you're talking tournament specific or you know some of the overall just events that take place because I think the uh, obviously, one of the the waste management open in Phoenix is is electric at TPC Scottsdale. I don't know if that course specifically has some of the iconic vibes of it, but like attending the event in general is on the list. I would agree. Now, I probably would enjoy the waste management open more if I was younger, because it is a frat house environment. Uh, but uh, um, as we've established many times on this show, I'm cranky old man, curmudgeon pants, if you will. That said, I wouldn't mind checking that out. But if you're giving me like a, a, a top three, TPC Sawgrass has to be in my top three. Like just the Island Green alone is just worth to go. And I love how that course is laid out, how challenging it is. That would be on my list for sure. And Beth Page Black. You know, any of those are just... What's the island course in South Carolina? Kiowa? Kiowa, yeah. I'm I, Hilton, that's in Hilton Head, I believe. On on uh, When I used to religiously play Tiger Woods' EA Sports video game, that was always one of my favorite. Yeah, it's in Hilton Head, South Carolina, right? That's the Heritage Tournament. You're, you're putting me on the spot there on some... Uh, I, I, I believe the, so. I believe so. Gave you the city and don't have the tournament <laughs> name. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all. That, that's, that, that's, that, that's all I can do. That's, I, I have nothing else for you, Raymond. That's all I can do. But no, it is interesting because if you can't go to the big ones... And look, I would go to any of those courses across the pond, by the way. That, that's, that's, you know... That's how that would go. Yeah, RBC Heritage. That's the one that's played at Hilton Head. So, yeah, if I can't go to Augusta, but Pebble Beach is number one. You and I are actually in agreement here. I think that's pretty much a no-brainer, right? If you can't go to St. Andrews, you can't go to Augusta, go to Pebble Beach. All day, all day. Of course, uh, TPC Louisiana, you've already experienced, so. Yeah, I, I don't know how many uh, Mount Rushmore's of golf TPC Louisiana is on, but, I mean, I look, I love it. It's got some personal meaning to it. And, um, there it is. There it is. Tripod is not you, – you're not going to find tripod in any of those other courses. That's right. Three-legged gonna, alligator. You're not going to find three-legged alligators everywhere. we got to take a timeout. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Who do you like to win the PGA Championship? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. we got to take a timeout. But when we return, Jerry Glasgow. Louisiana Raging Cajun head softball coach. His team's gearing up for the Baton Rouge Regional. That begins play, guess what, tomorrow. That's coming up next right here on The Game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Another stellar season for the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team. Another conference championship continues their streak of winning weekend series. 40-plus wins. Oh, guess what? They're back in an NCAA regional yet again. They'll get to work tomorrow over in Baton Rouge at the Baton Rouge Regional as the number two seed. And joining us now to talk about the team season and their mindset heading into yet another NCAA Regional is the man who coaches the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team. Jerry Glasgow joins us now. Coach, good morning to you, brother. Congratulations on another great season. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just uh, going through the week. The week of the regionals was the busiest week of the year. Get through it and looking forward to playing again. So this has kind of become old hat for you in, in this program, so to speak, to do what you do. But – uh, here you are. You have another great opportunity in front of you. So what's been the message to the team after you guys won the conference tournament and fa- figured out that you were heading to Baton Rouge? Well, you know, just trying to stay relaxed, do exactly the things that we've done here for the last month and don't make it a whole lot different. But at the same time, take care of ourselves, stay healthy. Trying, we're trying to avoid, uh, you know, we last year we had a couple kids that uh, COVID, I got COVID, and a couple of kids got COVID, so we were shorthanded at the regional, and trying to avoid that type of situation and just stay healthy. Uh, at the same time, being prepared and be ready. How much different is it preparing for a regional, as say, compared to a regular season series or even the conference tournament, Coach? You know, I I think I've always made it. You know, we've always practiced really hard the week of the regional. And this year I'm trying to keep it more because you don't have class. You're, you don't have your schools out, so you've got some extra time. And this year I've tried to keep, keep more of a level, just a level kill with the kids and hoping that, that they'll play a little more relaxed. So we'll see what happens. But uh, you always you have a little more time in, in the regional week because there's no school. And, of course, as a coach, there's so much media stuff going on and there's a lot of time demands for a coach. So maybe coaches don't have quite as much time to get ready as you want, but players have a lot of extra time. And I think one thing they can be is really well-rested. And so we hopefully we'll come out with a lot of energy and fire and, and determination, and we'll see that effect on the field. Every – year the team is different it doesn't matter if you have the majority of the players back from the season prior and the same coaching staff but a a team is different every single year what did you learn about this year's group of young ladies that maybe you didn't know when the season first started coach 
I think that the, the tail, the, they're really fight. Like they, they really will get in a game and fight to win it and find a way to win. Uh, I love that about this particular group. Uh, they're, they're gritty as they can be. Uh, and then I've enjoyed, uh, there's a lot of freshmen playing. And then this regional, you know, you're going to have all the freshmen. You've also got Sam Landry and Alexa Lingler. She's never been in a regional before. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, um, it, it'll be fun to watch how they all respond to that. But they're tested. They've been through a lot of, they're, they're all, this group of kids has probably won more national championships and had more success in, a, in summer ball than any group we've ever had here since I've been here. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping we see the result of that is that they handle this, the playoff, uh, regional atmosphere really well, and we get good results there. Coach, you did a little shuffling around throughout the season with your infield, played some younger players, kind of moved some people here and there, but you've kind of seemed to solidify uh, the group that you want to play, at least for the most part. Um, do you feel pretty satisfied with where your infield stands defensively, uh, or do you think you'll still have some tweaks going into regional play? Yeah, no, I, I think we're, we kind of understand now. Um, you know, Langley was really good at second. She was such a good second baseman. We just hate to, hate to move her back over to short because she was so good defensively at second base. But when we put her back at short, it seemed like our our team just plays better, a little more energy. Of course, she's played really well at shortstop as well. So I think that was the move that that really kicked our defense in gear, along with Maddie Hayden at third base. And, uh, you know, Maddie's a, such a good outfielder. She was a little reluctant, I think, to play on the infield and didn't feel comfortable there. She's she's just one of the elite outfielders that we've had here. But she also extremely quick, got great hands. And so it took a little process, you know. Of, I moved her in. She She did really well, but she didn't feel really well. And then we put her back out in the outfield. Um, and then when we put her back in this last time, she just, okay, I'm ready. I'll do it for the team. And, and it's really that along with Langley is it, you know, it's short and sissy at first. Of course, Lauren Allred has been outstanding at first base all year. And sissy, when sissy Vasquez, uh, went to second, that's when we seem like we just, the airs just stopped and, and the infield has been really, really solid. So that, that, that's been a huge improvement for us down the stretch. One of the unique things about this year's team specifically to me has been the actual development of an entire pitching staff, and it's something that gets talked about sometimes, and then you know some years it doesn't play out the way you plan it to. But this year, with Megan and Sam as starting options, but Kandra out of the bullpen, Carly Heath has pitched in both roles, Chloe Riosetto has been impressive. You have some legitimate options, and is that valuable going into a regional where maybe you can match up in certain situations where in the past it was kind of we've got our one or two girls that we're really just going to roll with and see what happens? Yeah, I'm thrilled to have uh, a good staff, and I think that goes back to Justin Robichaux and how hard he's worked You know, to keep, to keep five or six pitchers really sharp. You have to have a lot of time spent with each pitcher. And what happens a lot of times with pitching coaches in college, 
they find their ace, they find their two hole, and they put all their time in those two kids, and everybody else kind of gets put on that back burner, so to speak, and and doesn't get the time that they need uh, to be ready with the coach. And and Justin, he's you know that's one of the things when when I was looking for a pitching coach, I knew what I wanted. I wanted a coach that would go one on one bullpens with every single pitcher. On a, on a regular basis, and he's done that. Now you see the result of that. We got, we've always had a lot of talented arms, but you, but you got to have talented arms that are ready and prepared, and 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 have had the workouts to to see to give them a chance to be at their maximum best on game day, and that's what you're seeing right now. It's just you got some really talented arms, and they're ready. Justin has them all ready. And they're all different, so it, it kind of gives us a lot of different options. And, you know, we, we've got kids wanting the ball, and that's that's what you want. We're talking with Raging Cajun head softball coach Jerry Glasgow. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. His team gears up for the Baton Rouge Regional, which they'll begin play tomorrow afternoon as they are the number two seed in that regional. Coach, uh, there was a lot of talk, a lot of discussion about your program being able to host a regional this season. It didn't happen, obviously, when you guys were watching it happen live in real time. There was, you know, a, a disappointment from the players, <laughs> you could tell. But you quickly kind of pivoted from that and said, hey, you know what, we're gearing up, we're, we're ready to go, we're going to go over to Baton Rouge and we're going to try to win this regional. How important is it and how important was it for you as the man in charge of the program to tell your team, hey, I know you're disappointed, I know you're upset, but we still have a great opportunity in front of us? Yeah, you know, I thought the schedule gave us a chance. We, we had such a good schedule, and it gave us a chance to host a regional and the super regional. And the kids had some good wins. You know, they had a win over LSU. They had a win over Florida. They had a win over Ole Miss. They had a win over Central Florida. Um, but we had some losses. You know, we, 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 you had a seven to six loss to Michigan that you wish you could get back. You had a seven to six loss to Arkansas. You wish you could get back. You lost four to three to UCLA. Yeah, you know, we had UCLA three two, two out in seventh inning. It may have been two strikes, but we lost. <laughs> and 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 so when the end result against those top twenty five teams, we had a two and nine record. And that's just not good enough. We needed needed to be three and eight. That might have done it. One win over UCLA probably would have done it. Two wins over Arkansas and Michigan and then four and seven would have been good. Because outside the top twenty-five, you're outstanding. You were twelve and two against twenty-six through fifty. When you're twelve and two against twenty-six through fifty, you know well, you don't belong in that category. You're better than that category. So that's what our results, our, the metric, kind of showed. We're better than twenty-six. We're we're not a second twenty-five team. We're definitely a top twenty-five team. But we also are not in that top sixteen category because we just. The success, that, that's how the committee looked at it. That's not necessarily, you know, whatever, everybody. There was a lot of people project this because of our overall body of work. And, you know, you go 47-13 and play uh strength of schedule that we played. 
that's an outstanding year uh, when you win 46 games. I think I said 47, 46 and 13. But 46 wins against a schedule that's number 12 RPI or number 12 strength of schedule. A lot of years and a lot of committees, that would have got you a regional. This committee used a lot of emphasis on top 10 wins and top 25 wins, which is fine. And we just didn't meet the criteria. That said, the kids really, you know, they took it hard there at first. And I I didn't really, I was kind of leaning we wouldn't get a regional all the way until the last two days. And you see guys like, you know, Eric Lopez is really accurate. Last year he got every single regional right. He had us in. Softball America had us in. Extra innings had us in. Then I kind of got to think, well, maybe maybe we will. But I but I never, ever believed we would. And then when they come up on the board, when they said when, – when I saw McNeese go to Washington and then I saw the LSU regional pop up at 10 instead of 6 or 7 – then I thought that's where we'd go. I really thought that LSU would be a six or seven seed, uh, maybe eight seed, and I didn't think it'd be fair to put 11 RPI in with a six, seven, eight seed. I didn't think the committee would do that. But when I saw they had LSU all the way down to 10, then it made sense that they could put a 20, you know, and that's where apparently they viewed us around 19, 20, 21. So, it is what it is. Kids are fine. They're over it. They'll be ready to play. Coach, we'll wrap it up with this. Briefly, what do you guys have to do this weekend over in Baton Rouge to win the Baton Rouge Regional and punch your ticket to the Supers? Well, you got to play really well. I mean, you've got a really you've got a top team. You've got, you've got the number 10 RPI team in front of you. You've got a team that's had great success. They're well coached. Um, they're just a good ball club. So you've got to, and you've got to go to their field in front of a large crowd, and you've got to play better than them. And that's 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 the challenge, you know. And it's doable. And we're going to give it our best effort, and I hope we can see our kids do that. But uh, it's a formidable challenge, and and something that we feel like we're definitely prepared to do by the schedule we played this year. And the things that we've learned over the course of the season, and that's the time to, to try to take that challenge and get it done. Coach, appreciate your time as always. Congrats on another stellar season. Best of luck this weekend over in Baton Rouge, brother, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, me, oh my crawfish pie. We wait for the frost to, well, melt in upstate Western New York for the PGA Championship first round action is yet to tee off 
Our poll question of the day is, who do you like to win the PGA Championship? And right now, 64% of you say the field. 18% say John Rahm. 13% say Scotty Scheffler. And 5% of you say Justin Thomas. Now, we yeah. were happy. Go ahead. I got to correct. We, we have teed off. I just wanted to make a clarification. I was giving a clarification on something we got wrong earlier and give some credit to one of our listeners. Do I have enough time to do that now? Thank you. Thank you. This man. This man. Shout out to Anthony. Anthony emailed the show because we were talking about earlier about courses that you would love to go to, but you can't pick Augusta or St. Andrews. Longtime listener to the show. He said, want to give some clarification. Kiwa Island is outside of Charleston and does not host a full-time PGA event. Only majors and not every year. The RBC is at Harbor Town in Hilton Head, South Carolina. So we got our low country courses slightly confused there, Dawson. But shout out to Anthony. Said He says, hope that helps. So there we go. It certainly does. Beautiful golf over there, I've been told. Have you ever golfed over in the Carolinas? No, I have not. Have you ever been to the Carolinas? Yes, I have. Why didn't you golf while you were in the Carolinas? I wasn't there for long, and it was also, both times I went, it was December, so it wasn't exactly <laughs> golfing weather. Not, not, not exactly ideal conditions. Is there, yes. no, so We're going to dive into this. So I would assume maybe football game. Uh, that was that was involved. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're gonna deep, do a dive in that next hour. I always try to understand Dawson more. He's he's like an onion. Got so many layers. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off with Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Talk Saints. Talk Pels. That's next right here on the game. Oh yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company. Final hour of today's show has arrived as we broadcast live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III. Of course, I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlo. Got an open segment, open hour here after our first guest. Typically, we have someone lined up at 830 Dawson and I decided to mix it up. So if you want to get phone calls in, final hour is the time to do it. Game hotline will be open, 337-706-0111. You want to talk about the Astros sweeping the Cubbies in dramatic fashion with a walk-off? You want to talk about Jimmy Butler, who is never considered as one of the top 10 players in the league, yet always plays like it in the postseason? as the Heat take game one in the Eastern Conference Finals from the Boston Celtics. You want to talk regional softball action gearing up for the weekend. Big series for Raging Cajun baseball team against Southern Miss. 
or the PGA Championship, which is now officially teed off after a frost delay. We'd love to hear from you on any of it. But right now, to kick off the final hour, we're going to talk to Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. He covers Saints. He covers the Pelicans. Good morning, brother. How are you? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great, bud. I'm talking to you. My Thursday's about to get so much better. All right, so let's dive in. What do we make okay. of the Saints adding James Washington uh, at at the wide receiver spot? He's a talented guy, but it's never really kind of made it made a huge impact. Never been able to kind of put it together consistently. He's dealt with injuries along the way. Is this simply a guy they're going to bring in as a camp body, or does Washington have a legitimate chance of making this roster? In your opinion? Well, I think he's kind of in between. Uh, I think he's more than a camp body, but he certainly doesn't have a guaranteed spot. I, I think the first thing that came to mind for me was something we talked about on the show last week, and that is it makes it less likely they're going to sign Jarvis Landry. I think, you know, they were looking to bring in another veteran receiver to compete, and I don't think they're going to bring a second one in, especially since I assume Jarvis wants a decent amount of money. So I don't say it's impossible, but I think it's certainly less likely than it was before the Washington signing. I think it's just a situation. They had a few spots left on the roster. They're looking at wide receivers, a spot where depth is still a little bit uncertain. You know, Mike Thomas is still rehabbing from another surgery. They have a lot of young players they kind of like, but they're not sold on yet. And so it gives them some, I would say more than the camp body, he's insurance as a, a veteran who will compete for a spot. But you know, it, this is he's entering his fifth year, and I believe it was his second year. It was the only time he really put up significant numbers. So uh, there's no guarantee he's going to make it, but he's uh, a guy who's certainly capable of competing for a roster spot. And look, they they bring him in. They've brought in <clears throat> some other pieces from the. You know, uh, with a, in particular a focus on pass catchers. Right? They signed Foster Moreau who's recovering from his uh, his illness. They bring in another uh, former Raider uh, that may or may not make the roster uh, at the wide receiver spot. But now the rumor mill is swirling around about the former Clemson star, national champion, that's also been a favorite target of Carr, and Renfro possibly parting ways with the Raiders, and rumors are swirling around that he could find him uh, a home in New Orleans, what do you make of that, and what do you make of the Saints continually adding pieces to those tight end wide receiver rooms? Well, I think they're in the spot of the calendar where you know they're they're down to their last two or three roster spots. You know, they can always add more if and create a spot for for the right person if they come along, and so they're they're trying to fill in the blanks with the best. Uh, value they can find on the open market. Now, if, if Hunter Renfro were to become available, I'm sure Derek Carr would lobby for him. I'm sure the Saints would look at him because he is a better uh, player than you're normally going to see on the open market this late in the off season. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it, it's certainly something that it makes sense to speculate about if he does become available. Um 
so wide receiver, obviously the passing game has been the biggest priority in the offseason. Quarterback was the biggest priority by position in the offseason. And now they need to be more balanced on offense. They need to uh, be able to stretch the defense, which is one thing Washington did when he was healthy. And uh, they need to give Carr multiple options uh, on uh, third down situations in the passing game when they need to throw the ball. So that, that has been a priority throughout, and it, it's something they're willing to continue to build on because it's uh, so important to them. And it, it's, again, a position that features a lot of youth and uh, a lot of potential that isn't necessarily proven ability in some cases. So uh, Hunter Renfro would be uh, interesting if he were to come available, but I'm, you know, I'm not picking out a jersey number for him just yet. Well, Les, you know, a lot of conclusions always get drawn from minicamp, and, and it's always kind of a little bit silly to do so, but some reports out that Jake Hayner looked impressive uh, in a couple of workouts in the past couple of weeks. Do you buy into anything you're hearing about Jake Hayner and, and maybe challenging as a backup or making this roster as a third option, or do you think that's all uh, very premature at this point? Well, it's premature, but I, I think if they picked him – where they did, uh, it was in the fourth round, I believe. Um, they, they're they looking for him to at least uh, make the roster and have an opportunity to compete uh, so he can learn and ultimately become a, a backup here, and maybe as soon as next year with Jameis Webster in a contract year. So I think he has a, a, a good chance of making the roster, even though that would make him the fourth quarterback when you count Taysom Hill in the equation. But, you know, the thing about rookie minicamps is is the main thing is you don't want to see any red flags. You know, wide receivers, they can't catch a pass. Uh, Guys making repeated mental mistakes. Guys getting hurt. uh, Things like that. You're not going to learn a whole lot or have a whole lot verified. Yeah, Hayner did what they like about him. He appeared decisive, made quick, good decisions, and delivered the ball on time with accuracy, which is all nice in seven-on-seven drills in May. But uh, other than that, you don't really tell a a whole lot. You can't tell anything about the linemen in seven-on-seven, and three of their top picks are linemen. The running back's not participating because he's recovering from a knee injury. Uh, and so, you know, the DB from uh, Minnesota, the, there were no red flags there, no red flags from the wide receiver from Wake Forest, and uh, and Hayner did fine. So I, I think that pretty much covers everybody. So I, I don't think you walk away from the rookie minicamp saying, wow, about anything, but you don't walk away with anything negative, and that's really the best you can hope for uh, this early in the process. You alluded to the idea that the Jarvis Landry scenario is is seemingly more and more less likely at this point. Do you think that all the bigger, you know, somewhat notable moves are pretty much done with this James Washington signing um, outside of some smaller roster tweaks, or do you think maybe there's one more move in store for Mickey Loomis and company? Yeah, I think they're basically done, Dawson, unless they, um, uh, you know, if, if something presents itself that's unexpected, maybe Hunter Renfro would fall into that category if it happens. But for the most part, and they talked about this, uh, Dennis Allen talked Saturday, 
and he and Mickey both talked at the Saints Hall of Fame golf tournament on Monday, and that this was before the James Washington thing became official. And even then, they were both talking like, you know, we've basically done everything we're going to do. You know, we, we still have a couple of spots to fill in. Um, but this is what it is, and we feel pretty good about what we've done. Now, they have the uh, possibility of making a more significant move if the opportunity is out there. But I don't think there's anybody on their board right now who's significant, who would attract a lot of money, who's got a bullseye on them. doesn't mean that couldn't change, but I, I think for the most part, barring something uh, unforeseen, uh, they are done with all the major moves, and I think they've done pretty well. We're talking with Les East of ChristensCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we're talking Saints, and we'll talk a little Pels. And let's transition to those Pelicans. Uh, I find it it's going to be an interesting offseason. Uh, things have been quiet with New Orleans. Obviously, they received, as projected, the number 14 pick in the lottery. Not really for sure how much is that going to help them or or not help them. What are you hearing when it comes to the Pels less and how they're going to attack this in particular, in particular this coming offseason? Well, if Winyanavi, if that's his name, were to slip to 14, I think they'd grab it. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, they, they have a fundamental choice to make, and, and I think they'll look at, at both possibilities at 14. They can either pick another good young player, probably an outside shooter, to complement Trey Murphy, and uh, put that person, uh, knowing that that person's not going to eat up a whole lot of money for them, and it's another young person they can grow with, and, and just sit there at 14 and be happy with whatever falls to them there, because another young piece would be helpful to them. You know, at the same time, I, I don't think they're going to try and package anything to move up. They, they do have a lot of draft assets in the future, but I don't think they're going to move up and grab somebody who's ultimately going to uh, put their payroll even higher than it already is. And I don't think they're going to get a high-priced veteran who's also going to put them in risk of, of the luxury tax. So, you know, I think the most likely thing is they're going to stay at 14 and take the best player, presumably someone who can shoot from the outside, uh, at that spot. But they will listen to offers for the pick to go up or down. And I think they'll be flexible. But I think the most likely thing is that it's going to be a fairly uh, boring off season, And that, that's not a bad thing, given where they are. Right, so kind of along those lines, last the season ended in a little bit of turmoil. There was a bit of Zion drama just at the end, as if we didn't have enough throughout the season, then they end up losing in the playing tournament. But from what you're saying there, it sounds like you think they're going to be pretty content to try to run this thing back and mostly just focus on getting everybody back healthy going into next year? Yeah, because uh, you know, early in the season, even when they didn't have everybody healthy, you know, they they had the best record in the Western Conference in December, even with uh, Ingram missing some time and Williamson missing some time, and then it just got to be too much missing those both those guys for a long period of time. So they have the pieces in place to go deep into the playoffs if they're able to keep everybody healthy, and everybody on the roster should with the exception of McCollum and, and Valanchunas and Nance, I suppose, 
should be an ascending player. Even um, um, Brandon Ingram, I think, is going to be 26 maybe when the season starts. Uh, you know, Zion's about to turn 24, I believe. And, uh, you know, they got Dyson Daniels, and they, they just got a lot of young talent that's going to continue to get better. They just got to be able to keep them all together, and they haven't been able to do that. There's nothing they can do in personnel acquisition that's going to change that. They may look at tweaking their depth a little bit so they're better prepared for long-term absences by the stars if that were to happen. But I think for the most part they're saying if our group is as healthy as everybody else's group, our group is one of the best. Les, appreciate your time and your insight as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing there with CrescentCitySports.com. And we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Thanks, Raymond. Thanks, Dawson. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru. Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Me, oh, my crawfish pie. What a show we've been having today here on RP3 and Company. Typically on a Thursday, we're very good. We're very good. Today, I feel like we're borderline great. What do you, th- what do you make of that bold statement, D to the low? Ah, mixed mixed feelings. See, this is what I love about Dawson. Even when we are great, my man says, you know what? It can be better. He's never satisfied. He's appreciative, He, but he's never satisfied. He always thinks we can do better. We've made, look, we've made some pars, and look, we've had a couple of birdie looks early, but I just don't think we're in the red numbers just quite yet. Oh. But the course is playing challenging, as is Oak Hill, which is where the PGA Championship has teed off, by the way. You got one guy, it's Higa, at uh, one under par. He's the only guy in red figures in the very early stages. Very familiar with his game. (laughs) Not so much. Not so much. Yes, early once again. First round was delayed due to frost. Yes, that's a real thing. (laughs) Frost? Someone texted me. There's frost at the PGA Chip? Yes, there's frost. They're they're playing in Western New York. Yeah, no, and I, I got a I got a text from our buddy Chris who we had on yesterday. Um, it, he was out there obviously very early, and he said it was very cold. It was in the 30s, and um, but 
it actually looks beautiful. Looks like the sun's coming out. Looks like they're going to have a really nice day out there. So um, just all in uh, having a major championship in New York in May, which again, I mean, it's May. It's not like it's, it's December. I mean, you know, I, I, I still thought we'd have been okay, but I guess not. <laughs> no. And hopefully the sun will come out tomorrow, as the song would suggest. Poll question of the day, who do you like to win the PGA Championship? Right now, 61% of you go with the field. 21% say John Rahm. 13% say Scotty Scheffler. 5% say Justin Thomas. Let's get to some comments because we haven't been able to do that yet. This is what's going to help us get that red number right here, these comments. And hopefully not spilling things on our pants. Ralph says, field for sure. PGA is notorious for producing surprise winners. Shawn Michael, Rich Beam, Y.E. Yang, Jimmy Walker. I forgot about Jimmy Walker. Jason Duffner, etc. Of the chalk, Rambo's baby cut is perfect for this setup. Still like Tyrell Haddon as the dark horse or Carl Spack. Oh, there's Carl from... Cut. We have not had a discussion about Caddyshack yet. Okay. Can, can we have one briefly? Go ahead. Thank you. I love the movie, and many people of my generation or older adore Caddyshack. But what I've come to find out is that some younger folks, and you being younger folks, do not love it as much as we do, or in some cases, haven't even seen it. Have you seen Caddyshack, and do you love it? Yes or no? It's been a while, and I'd have to go back and refresh on if we were going to have a, a you know a roundtable on it. Um, I think a little bit of the humor involved with it kind of has a bit of a, a generational gap, so I think that's part of it. I was always more of a Ten Cup guy growing up, golf movies-wise. Okay. I appreciate um, uh, your affinity for Ron Shelton. He also crafted what I believe. Uh, okay. By the way, a former sports journalist turned filmmaker, Okay, Ron Shelton, who did Ten Cup. He also did Maybe Bull Durham. Path. And White Man Can't Jump. Wow. And uh, apparently White Man Can't Jump's getting remade. I think a lot of people got no. mixed feelings about that. You can't. <laughs> and look, I love remakes. I, and more specific, I love sequels more than remakes. But sometimes there's there's real classics you just don't mess with. <sighs> and, that's, and, and that's one of them. But yes, usually R-rated comedies with colorful characters is, is, is Ron's forte as a former sports journalist. I, I I firmly believe Bull Durham's the greatest sports movie ever made and the best baseball movie ever made. And I will die on that hill. So, you don't... Uh, see, you gave me the head nod. See, these are the questions I should ask during the interview process. This man this man is hating on Bull Durham. You it's, gave... It's you good. gave You gave the, uh, the passive-aggressive head nod to the side of, eh... It's good. I'm just not. I'm not ready to have greatest of all time Bull Durham conversation at eight twenty seven on Thursday. I need more time to think about. I. It's not going to be best of all time for me, but it's but it's a good movie. Let me guess. You're young. You probably love the Sandlot. Sandlot. I like Sandlot too, which I know that's unpopular, but <laughs> I was not expecting Sandlot too. I like the. I like how they kind of remixed it there, and and now it was a little bit. It was a little bit different. I like them all, um, but no, yeah, Sandlot was always up there on the list. Uh, there, there's, there's others though. I mean, it, it's. For me, there's a, and I've talked about this already. We've had an argument about draft day with me and Miguez and Mesh. I mean, they just don't understand how terrible that movie is. But there's a couple layers of of a good. Sports but it's movie terrible in a so bad it's good kind of way. It's like any given Sunday. It's That's not a matter of based opinion. in realism um, whatsoever. 
Not right. Whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. I, and I don't buy the relationship either in draft day, by the way, between him and Jennifer Garner. I don't. I, I, I never bought it. Like, that's not even where I. That's like my thirty third ranked problem with that movie. And Dennis Leary as the head coach, I don't buy either. There's just a lot of problems. But anyway, I, I really appreciate <laughs> a, a a move a sports movie that has some realism baked into it, along with a good storyline. And then you can do one or the other. You know, you can have the realistic aspect of Moneyball, which is a great depiction of true events, right? Or you can go the complete other route where, and I, you know, some people then will start to have the debate about if it's a sports movie or not. How about a movie like Fever Pitch that gets a bad rap, but it's not focused on the sports aspect. It's built around a sports narrative story in which the Boston Red Sox erase a 3-0 deficit to the New York Yankees, but it's a romantic comedy that's not trying to make itself about sports. That was my argument with Trouble with the Curve. A movie that is about baseball loosely, but the story of the movie is more focused on the relationships and the people and the characters themselves. As for Draft Day, they tried to focus the movie on the sporting events and they got it horrifically inaccurate. And so that's where I really struggle to appreciate that piece of cinema. Oh, it just flowed out of them. Not prompted, not on the rundown. This is what you get when you tune into this show to the station. This is what D-Lo brings to the table. I didn't love FIFA pitch. I thought Jimmy Fallon tried too hard. But, and I remember watching it in the theaters. But it does have some charm to it. But you're right. You get into debate. Like, a lot of people love the natural. Right? I always had a fundamental problem with the natural. Spoiler alert, I read the book before seeing the movie. And the book's ending is not what is is nowhere even remotely close to what's in the movie. So when I I get around to watching the movie after having read the book, I actually checked the book out in my school library. And when I finally get around to watching The Natural, my first thought process is, wow, Robert Redford's already way too old for this movie. That's one. And the second one was the ending, which I hated. Now... I also have done that too many times where I read the book and then I see the movie and I get, you know, I just stop reading the books. <laughs> just go, just go, no. Yeah, and a quick thought for me on books, movie depictions. I know they're not perfect, but I, I really, it bothers me when like fundamental, important key aspects of the book and the movie differ. For instance, the movie Holes, which I don't remember if I read the book before seeing the movie or if it was the other way around. Is that the around. Shia LaBeouf yes. Disney Which It's movie? a great yes. movie, and it's a great okay. book. Right. But in the in the book, the, the, one of the fundamental key aspects of the character is how out of shape and, and larger he is. And then in the in the movie, it's, it's Shia LaBeouf is a string bean. So it's just... <laughs> it, it, like, when it's fundamental stuff, which that... I got over that part. That's fine. But, like, sometimes the, the, you got to get some of the key details when you're depicting, if you're actually attempting to depict. Now, if you're going to make a movie based on the story of a book, I guess you have more room to kind of... Again, it's it's semantics here, but... It is semantics, but I do like that. See, we can have a good movie discussion. Yes, draft day is ridiculous, but it's starting to, to, to take on this thing of, you know, it's just so over the top. And then you bring up another good point about sports movies. All right, you brought up, you know, what's based in, like, so Fever Pitch is really about the, the romantic relationship between Drew and Jimmy, right? Their characters. And it's set against the backdrop of the Sox, Yankees, great comeback ALCS, right? Well, that leads me down the road of the same thing of dealing with Die Hard as a Christmas movie. 
I don't say it's a Christmas movie because, yes, it's set at Christmas, but it's more about a guy taking down terrorists. Like, the terrorists, it, it, has, it, just, sits, it just sits during Christmas time. It's not a Christmas movie. So it's one of those great debates, right? Well, yeah, if it's set yes. during Christmas, that means it's a Christmas movie. Well, not necessarily. I would and admit, I, yeah, Fever but- Pitch, I view more as a rom-com than a sports movie because... It's more about their yeah, relationship yeah, yeah, than yeah. it is. So, yeah, there we go. So, it's an interesting point you made. I knew I hired you for a reason. Even though you're not ready to give love to Bulb Durham, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Sandlot 2. And, I, and I'm not saying that's my greatest of all time. I was just saying I choose it over the first one, which everyone always gives me grief about it. But, I mean, I like both of them. They're both great movies. There we go. So, you just appreciate some great cinema. Unlike Draft Day. Ooh. I was so excited about that movie, too. And I was like, oh, man, Costner doing sports again. And I was like, ah, it's like for love of the game. Eh, it's going to be a disappointment. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, open phone lines, game hotline. We can talk about whatever, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Apparently, we need to give Kevin Foote more time on the air because apparently his two-hour show on weekdays is not enough as he feels the need to chime in on conversations that are had here on RP3 and company. Uh, I guess he doesn't have enough, uh, you know, uh, enough opportunities to express himself in written form or on the air. You would think working for the Acadiana Advocate and hosting your own two-hour show, that would be enough time. It's not Dawson. That's that's what's happening right now. He wanted to chime in because he's a big fever pitch guy. Kevin Foote is. He thinks Jimmy Fallon's uh, acting prowess is phenomenal, by the way. Um, and he, he said, my assessment is inaccurate, which of the two of us, who is an award-winning former film critic? Raise your hand. Is it Kevin Foote? Is it Dawson Iserlo? Or is it Raymond Parch III? Oh, it's it, it was me. It's me. I, I, that's what I used to do for a living years ago. But thank you for insulting me, Kevin. Always appreciate that. Um, as for your love for Fever Pitch, um, you, of course, would love that movie because you're a Maniac fan. There you go. Am I a Maniac fan? No. My relationship with my wife or my family is not directly impacted by my fandom. There we go. Is it okay? Everything okay over there? <laughs> Not see. You want to come off the top rope with a flying elbow in a group text thread while I'm live on the air? Expect to get body slammed because of it. That's how wow. that works. Okay. That's how that works. We're talking about a PG-rated fictional depiction of <laughs> of a relationship surrounding a movie, right? You love it as well. 
It's one of your faves. It's a, it, yeah. It's I think it's more comes to when I saw it as a kid. You know, if I if I watch it for the first time now, I don't think I'd enjoy it as much as I do. It just remembering kind of how I felt when I first. It saw has it. charm. I just don't consider it a sports movie. That's yeah, all. and that was kind of my right. point. It's, it's right. I think there's two categories to it: a sports movie or a movie that uh, has sports as a as a theme. Like same thing with the Christmas thing. Like I mean, you Correct. know, Catch Me If You Can is one of my all time favorite movies. Leonardo DiCaprio is brilliant in that one. Uh, it has a Christmas scene or two, but so it's not Hanks. about Christmas. It's just it's correct, just, correct, right? It has a Christmas scene, which I think sometimes it gets thrown into like if you're searching, it, it'll have it'll have a tag on there. Which like, okay, do you do you watch around the holidays? Maybe more likely to because it has that scene. Yeah, sure, I guess that could play into it. But I mean, uh, maybe I'll watch it in July. It's maybe okay. Fever Pitch has some charm. Okay, but it's not a sports movie to me. It's a relationship movie, and. You can sit there and say, well, his sports fandom, but it, it's it's not sports. It's sports fandom. You could take the primary drive here of her not knowing about his sports fandom and how it negatively impacts their relationship, which they have to overcome. Okay? You could take that and say, I could write that movie and make his thing that they have to overcome be an addiction to drugs or alcohol or being a workaholic or anything like that's what it is it's not a sports movie his fandom is the thing that is bothering and interrupting their relationship to blossom and to can to get over the hump and they both have to come to terms with his sports fandom okay but it would be the same thing if the character was an addict have to come over that or some other type of trial or tribulation. Like, it's not, you can make that movie in so many different ways. It's not a sports movie. It's not like he plays for the Red Sox. You know, I think that specifically, I think you hit hit the criteria that we're looking for here. Could you make the same movie without the sports teams present? Yes or no? And I think that really answers a lot of questions. Yes. I think it does. Yes. I think some people would argue that Fever Pitch... It'd be a very different movie without it, but it's it's in the conversation for sure. Correct. It would be a different movie, but it's still the 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 story structure that is utilized in it would be the same. Speaking of good stories, how about this LSU e baseball team, Bud? You were there Battle yesterday. Tested. Yep, yep, yep. They're being tested this entire tournament. Oh yeah, they they have played close games throughout, which hasn't been the case. And uh, Jeff Willis told us last week when we broadcast live from LSU e that. It was going to be a difficult tournament for them, not only because they are the number one seed and they have the target on their back and they play in a region filled with Mississippi schools and they're the only Louisiana-based school that plays in that, right, plays in that, but they've had their hands full every single game and yesterday was no exception, but yet they still find a way and they have advanced now to the championship round for the Region 23 tournament. Yep, so 3 o'clock yesterday was the double winner's bracket game. The early game um, that took place was an elimination game in Pro River Advance, so they survived. Um, so then it was the Bengals taking on East Central, both teams 2-0. and So the winner, the way the bracket is essentially working now, uh, it's much more simple. Think of it like the 2-0 and game in a, in a traditional baseball regional now. Uh, those two teams play, or the, it would be the one and zero, where you would have the one and zero matchup. Those two teams play each other. Winner goes to the championship. Loser has to bounce back and play Pearl River, um, and then the winner of that goes back to play the team that just won that two and zero game, right? And the team that came out of losers bracket would have to beat them twice. 
So the Bengals fell. Uh, they lost East Central, who got a great performance both on the mound. Uh, Andrew Yuritich was fantastic out of the bullpen for them, and they put up a three spot in the top half of the eighth, ended up winning that game 8-5. to five. So uh, the Bengals had to bounce back and actually play again at 7 o'clock. So I wasn't there for that one, but I did call the 3 o'clock game in which they lost, but I was able to watch it on the, L- on the LSUE Digital Network last night. And they bounced back, scored five runs in the first inning on the defending national champs in Pearl River, and just kind of cruised from there. They they were certainly tested, and, and Pearl River got back, drew it all the way. It was nine to three at one point. Pearl River made it nine to eight, so the Bengals kind of had to battle there. They end up winning the game fourteen to nine. Um, so they now move on and will face that same team, East Central, who is still undefeated in the tournament. Bengals are going to have to beat them twice. So the way it'll work: first game will be at three o'clock today. I'll have the call for that one. And if the Bengals win, then we'll have the winner-take-all game tomorrow at three o'clock. If East Central wins today, then they are the tournament title. Uh, cha- they are the tournament champions, and they'll head back to the national tournament. So LSUE has to win twice. Yes. So they are essentially <laughs> in that spot that you'd find in a traditional college baseball or softball regional when one team's undefeated, but one team comes out of the losers bracket. So uh, East Central just needs one win. Bengals need two, and that'll be at three o'clock. Should be really interesting. One thing the Bengals have had, and and you know, I know we're coming up on a break here, but They've used their starting pitchers, even though they haven't really had their best outings. None of them have had standout outings. They've all given them length. They've all find found a way to give them six, seven innings in those starts. Um, you're also going to start to see, of course, this tournament started back on Monday. So relievers who have been used, you're going to start to be able to bring some guys back. They did that with Aiden Vosberg yesterday. Um, so the Bengals up against it a little bit, right? You're going to have to beat a team that's well rested, but. Um, I think if there's any team that's built to come back from this, it's a team like LSUE who has the pitching depth that some teams just don't have. Um, and when you win 52 games now they have on the year with uh, only losing four of them, you're built to kind of face some adversity. So this should be, it should be exciting. So that game's at 3 o'clock today. And then if they win, they'll have to play again tomorrow is how that will work. So a long week for... The Region 23 tournament. For me, yes. And the Region 23 <laughs> tournament. Yes. yes. yes but it's, it's been, been a lot of fun. It's, enjoyed been, it. it's, it, it's been a long week for you, boy. It's, it's, you've been putting in the work, my man. You've been putting in the work. Doing our best, certainly. Oh, Cajun Prairie. Who doesn't love the Cajun Prairie? Just saying. Who doesn't love the Cajun Prairie? We got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. We'll wrap up today's show finalize the poll question of the day, and then get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. PGA Championship at Oak Hill is underway after, of course, we had a bit of a frost delay this morning, as you would expect in a golf tournament in May, right? (laughs) Um, Currently, Scott Stallings 
How about this? He makes eagle on his first hole of the day. He's teeing off on the back nine, so makes a two on the par four tenth hole. So he leads the way at two under par. You got a couple of guys uh, in at one under. Kazuki Higa is one under par. Uh, Emiliana Grillo is one under, and K.H. Lee, all one under par. Everybody else is at even or below. So if you guys getting early uh, into the red numbers, we've always, uh, you know, we've heard a lot of the controversy, a lot of the talk. Who's going to, you know, how how far into red numbers do you have to be to win this tournament? Do you have to be in red numbers at all? Could you win the tournament at even par or below? I, I haven't bought that narrative and. I don't. Th- I don't think it's. I don't think it's been reconstructed to be that difficult, right? I, mean, I know they want it to make it more difficult, more like a U.S. Open, but we don't believe that it's going to be. It's not going to play like an, like a traditional, you know, depressing U.S. Open would. Uh, I don't know. There's been mixed feelings about that. I, I think, and it depends on who you're asking now. I think you're going to see some big numbers. I just, for me, I don't, with the course, I don't see a ton of huge numbers out there. I think guys are going to make a lot of bogeys, certainly. Um, I don't know if there's, like, the the potential for meltdown holes where guys are going to make triple mm. and above. But, That's I mean, fair. look, if, if you get stuck in that rough and you duff a couple of chips, you can make double or triple really quick. So, we'll see. I, I still think the winner gets to around six under par at, you know, maybe even up to around nine or ten under. Um, I just think that's what we're going to see. But we, we will see. I'll be interested to see, though, with the, the the things that they did there, how it's going to play out, though. I do. And I, look, I'll be watching all four rounds, as you will. I just, I'm a golf guy. Can't help it. Hey, great show today. I want to thank Kevin Price from PGATour.com, giving us a preview of the PGA Championship. I want to thank Jerry Glasgow, Louisiana Raging Cajun head softball coach for joining us as well. His team gears up for the Baton Rouge Regional, which begins tomorrow there at Tiger Park. And, of course, Les East from CrescentCitySports.com, talking a little Saints, talking a little Pels there. I want to thank you to all of them for helping us make this Thursday edition of the show just so tremendous. Poll question of the day. We asked you, who do you like to win the PGA Championship? 62% of you pick the field. 20% say John Rahm. 13% say Scotty Shuffler. 5% say Justin Thomas. I will say this. I always, it's just so hard to win back-to-back majors and win multiple majors in a season. It just is. So even though Rahm won the Masters and he is playing lights out, right? It's just so hard. It's just, it's just so difficult. It's so immensely difficult to win a major. It just is. Ralph says, and the leader today will be the golfer who packed the warmest clothes. 36 degrees in Rochester this morning. Dow Teddy Scott will be in shorts today. Ton simply uh, tweeted, don't care. Sorry. Oh, don't care about the golf. Salty Steve says, give me Hovland, Burns, and Kepka. I have them in a pool that you pick three golfers and lowest accumulated score wins. Which three do you pick in the PGA? Man, I do like Victor's game, man. I do. I don't think we talk enough about him. We just don't. He's got a really good game. And I'd love to see Sam Burns finally break through. It feels like he's getting closer and closer to doing that. John Paul says, I'll go with the field. I know little about golf. I do know the Breakers lost their first game to the, the Showboats. <laughs> that's right. Speaking of the Showboats, that's a nice transition. On tomorrow's show, Starting quarterback for the Memphis Showboats, former Turlings Catholic star in southeastern Louisiana, record-setting quarterback Cole Kelly will be joining us. You won't want to miss that. We'll also have Louisiana Raging Cajun football legend and recent grad 
Tyrell Finroy will be joining us as well. And of course, James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. That's what we got lined up for you tomorrow. So make sure to tune into that six to nine. But until then, for the producer extraordinaire Dawson Eiserlow, I'm Raymond Parts the third. Make sure you're safe out there. Make sure you're kind to one another. And Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game.